and welcome everybody to the Seamless HQ podcast, a podcast designed for innovation-driven HR professionals in Kenya and Africa at large. Our conversations here are centered around three key pillars, tech and innovation, culture and organization building, and people development. My name is Pilit Kasara. I have been in the HR tech space for the last four years, and I'm currently working at the people company, Seamless HQ, in business development. I'll be co-hosting this podcast with my colleague, Kefa Mutuma. Kefa, please introduce yourself to our listeners. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining in in this episode. My name is Kefa Mutuma. I'm the product developer at Seamless HQ, majorly developing on HRM tools to help companies better manage their employees. I am really excited about today's show. We will be having a conversation around talent acquisition and retention. I hope you've grabbed your coffee or your notebook or just gotten comfortable because I assure you it's going to be a good one. Now, if I could use just one word to describe what my guest is all about, it will be impact. He is passionate about driving tangible impact to the society, which explains his particular affinity for working with impact organizations such as Bridge International Academies, Komaza Forestry, and Give Directly. He is a HR professional with nine years of generalist experience across different industries. He is currently the country human resource manager at Give Directly Kenya, an NGO that seeks to reshape the social sector by establishing cash as a benchmark with the ultimate aim of ending poverty. He aspires to be a career coach for young and underprivileged children across the country and believes that Kenya has the best talent pool in Africa and that it's about time we transform this potential into an invaluable resource that will propel us to the top of the global economy. Outside of his profession, he is an aspiring writer and a bowling enthusiast. Saidi Juma, thank you so much for gracing us with your presence. We are so honored that you're a member of our network and that you're here with us today. So how are you doing today and how is work? I'm great. I'm doing great. Thank you, Pili and Kefa, for inviting me for this uh, podcast. I'm doing great. Um, really busy. Uh, it's a busy time for us at Keep Directly. But uh, yeah, everything is great and uh, just thankful to be here. Wow, glad to hear that. So allow me to just jump into our conversation straight away. Society, I would love us to begin by you walking us through some of the big shifts that have been in the talent acquisition and retention space over the last 10 years. And you could also mention about how the pandemic has influenced or disrupted the space currently. Yeah, that's a great question. Well, uh, yeah, the pandemic has brought a lot of changes, uh, some good, some bad, and um, companies have been forced to rethink and re-strategize um, how they look at recruitment. If you asked me about maybe it back in 2018, how would we be able to do this virtually without actually seeing anyone? Uh, I would have been very, very skeptical. I think... Uh, if you ask any HR uh, professional, professional if they can actually hire people remotely, they would be very, very skeptical about it without actually seeing them. But we had to do it. And uh, we basically leveraged on the technologies that we have. Zoom became pretty handy. Online skills test, uh, assessment tests became very handy. And these technologies helped us you know, to be able to assess candidates in ways that maybe we were not doing so before because we had to, because now you don't have an in-person interview 
where you can you know see things like body language um how somebody has dressed and other things that you would be able to observe in an in-person interview and so uh, we redesigned how we hired people and um, we actually found that it's it's beneficial it was less time consuming and it was actually um, cost saving and that's why i believe it's here to stay because it's simply become much better people have adopted and they've found new ways of hiring people that are even better than when it was in person so that's the first one um, secondly i think uh, companies are going to be start emphasizing on internal hiring this is something i've already seen happen uh, because of the pandemic reducing the revenues of so many companies that means the hiring budgets have also gone down that means you have less to work on you have less salaries to offer to new candidates and so companies have started shifting towards their actual staff uh, so internal hiring has become a big thing um, people are multi-skilling they've started taking on newer responsibilities than they had and it becomes easier to promote somebody from within than it is to actually hire from outside because you already know um, the career path that this person or these employees who are with you are on you know their skills you know what they're capable of you know how much you can stretch them you know what kind of stretch assignments you can give them and so um, to the advantage or to the uh, to the betterment of uh, the employee experience internally companies are now doing more promotions internally um, people are also starting to take up more roles that are actually global they are starting to take up roles across countries because you no longer have to be within a certain geographical area in order to take up a responsibility so i would say we give directly we are spread across nine african countries our employees are no longer you know tied to working within the kenyan uh, kenyan landscape they can work with our liberia team our malawi team our morocco team and so there's more opportunities for them there if there's no opportunities for internal promotion within kenya they can look towards the other countries and i think this is something that's here to stay companies starting to realize that they have quite uh, a big amount of talented people within the organizations that they can reach out to when there's need uh, for a promotion. So I would say, yeah, those two for me really stood out as uh, the things that the pandemic have, have, have changed when it comes to hiring. Um, but in the last 10 years in particularly, I've seen a shift, which coincidentally I've been in the industry for the last nearly one decade. And there are things that were there when were not there when I started out, but I've started seeing happen uh, in the past couple of years. Uh, for example, diversity, equity, and inclusion, that's become really big, actually. Um, I would say it came with Gen, Gen Z or it came with uh, the millennials. Um, these are people who you'd say they are woke. And so um, they you find candidates who belong to Gen Z and, and, and are millennials actually assess companies based on how diverse they are. They look at um, their careers page or their team's page and check to see, you know, is a company, you know, inclusive? Does it have um, gender equality in terms of uh, equal female, male and male and female, especially in the top management um, of that company? They look at race. You know, how many people are there from different races, how many black people, how many white people, how many Asians, Hispanic, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, and, and when it comes to equity, uh, equal pay for both 
uh, women and men has become big. And this is something that stakeholders are actually holding companies accountable to. Uh, for, the, for the NGO sector, it's something that the donors are holding the organizations to. They need reports to see that there's equal payment for both men and women at the same level for the same job. And this is something that has become really uh, important. And it also contributes towards building a positive employer brand. And so companies have started to recognize this and they're really pushing for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, and the other thing I would say is um, there's a shift from recruitment to talent management. Uh, when I started, I found that a lot of what was happening was recruitment and people don't know that there's a big difference between the two. With recruitment, you find that it's more of filling open positions that have come about. Either uh, it's a new position or somebody has left and uh, the HR is actually recruiting just to fill that vacancy that's there at the moment. And so people are shifting towards that and they're going towards talent, talent management, which is more of a cyclical approach. It's geared towards building relationships, anticipating future hiring needs, and then creating a sustainable pool of candidates, making sure that, that the recruitment experience is great um, for the candidate and that they, 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 they have a positive experience throughout from how they were shortlisted to the time they were hired. And even if you're not hired, uh, it's about you know how you communicate to these candidates, how you make sure that the employer brand is good, whether or not the candidate is successful or not, that they experience uh, and they can testify to um, how good your, your your company is. And so there's a shift now to talent management. And uh, yeah, that's something that has really been uh, key in making your organization competitive in how you uh, attract talent. Awesome. Um, you mentioned you've changed how you used to hire people. So take us through your talent acquisition strategy. How do you currently support talent? What are some of the changes uh, that you're currently implementing in regards to this? Yeah. So as I said, we we, we really we, we had to go towards uh, we have to make we had we had to make a shift towards hiring people remotely. And so with that. Um, Part of our talent recruitment or talent acquisition strategy involved um, use, leveraging on softwares. Some of them have AI, and so with the AI, they're able to sift through applications and help you with this, you know, administrative work. Those those repetitive tasks that make uh, recruitment sometimes so mundane. They really help with that, and so it cuts down on the lead time that you have between advertising a role and actually closing in on a candidate. Another strategy that we've uh, uh, adopted is collaboration. So these days, as a recruiter or as a HR professional, you can't work alone. You just can't stick to saying that because I'm a HR and this is what I've gone to school to read for, I'm going to do recruitment alone. No, we collaborate with other departments. For instance, we, col we collaborate with our marketing department, with our communications department, to learn how to be able to... Um, embrace digital marketing and use digital marketing to attract candidates. You'd realize these days there are really, there have been an uptick in really like sophisticated posters that are being used to advertise roles and people are finding, you know, nifty ways to attract people because the, the old days of advertising roles on newspapers and um, using flyers have gone. You have to find there's too much noise right now in the 
in the recruitment uh, industry. You find there's like a myriad of recruiters who are all um, clamoring for candidates' attention. So you have to find a way to stick out. And so things like digital marketing has really helped. Um, or even advertising on social medias, social media these days. I've seen posters uh, going through WhatsApp as forwards, and uh, it has really helped because people really communicate. What communication on WhatsApp is very instant. And so you can post a, a job advert on WhatsApp or Telegram, and within five minutes, you would have almost 100 applications. Yeah, um, other than that, also collaborating with other employees because they have actual uh, feedback that's very useful. The people that you hired, get to survey them, ask them, why did you choose to work with us? Why did you, what attracted you to this organization? And based off of their information, you can use that to actually attract more people and know what you're doing right in order to bring them in. And so collaboration is, has been very important. It's a key strategy when it comes to talent acquisition. Uh, you have to work with uh, other people within the organization to be able to come up with innovative ways uh, to bring in um, new employees. Yeah, so those two have been really uh, key. Uh, the other thing uh, I would say is leveraging on data. So talent acquisition data is very important. It will allow you to do a lot. So you don't, if data can allow you to, to predict a lot of things about your organization. You can have a look at data and see what has, what has been the hiring trends for the organization for the last five years. How have we been hiring typically? Is there a time where we need to scale up typically? Is there a time when we need to scale down? And what has been the lead time when it comes to hiring? And through identifying those trends by analyzing the data, you are able to put in interventions. If your lead time has been particularly long, at a certain stage, maybe when it comes to the, to the director interviews, you find that the lead time all of a sudden becomes longer. You're able to put in key interventions to make sure that you shorten that process by either collaborations or you know, actively engaging you know, the interviewers to make sure that they're always ready for these interviews. Um, if, it's, if the problem has been scale up, you, it informs you that you need to create, uh, you, you need to have a large talent pool that you can always reach out to and you can always tap into so that you can allow your organization to tap in. So uh, what's, you cannot analyze what you've not counted. And so you always have to have data at your forefront when it comes to talent acquisition. It's it's priceless. Wow, thanks. Uh, Sadie, I've heard you talk about virtual hiring a lot. And I just want to know about whether it has, you'd say it has affected the quality of the talent that you acquire. Yeah, I would say so, uh, definitely. So it has definitely increased the quality of the candidates that we can hire. Um, and, again, and I say that because before we couldn't, uh, before we were restricted, before the pandemic that is, we were restricted to a small talent pool. Um, you'd find that for some roles, you can only hire within Kenya, right? Because no companies believed in remote hiring. But now with people being able to work virtually from anywhere in this world, you're able to get candidates from all over. Uh, the globe. And so with an increase in your talent pool, there's also an increase in quality. Uh, on the other hand, um, can also say that there's been a need for more scrutiny because 
with in-person interviews, we used to be able to um, assess the candidate visually as well. Um, you could tell a lot from the body language of a candidate. You know, you could see a candidate who's an active listener through how they are engaging you in the in the one-on-one -on -one interview. You could see somebody is kind of you know not interested. Let's say, for example, if they are slouching, that for you just tells you, hmm, yeah, I think this person is not right for the job. Um, yeah, so you can tell a lot, but now we can't do that with virtual hiring. Yes, you can have the video on, but you you don't really know. Like uh, with in-person interviews, people had to dress up, you know, come to the interview, impress the panelists and so on. But now, especially if it's not even a video interview, somebody can do the interviews in their vests and their shorts, you know. Um, but yeah, we have to do a lot of scrutiny, additional scrutiny in order to be able to uh, make sure that the candidates we hire are the right people, they're the right culture fit, they're the right um, technical fit for the organization. And that goes by just making sure that there is, um, you, you use the right uh, technology, you use the right assessments, uh, you ask the right questions. And so there's little room for making errors because um, especially if you're high, you're hiring highly specialized roles. So there are advantages and there are disadvantages to it. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. Now you, you've talked about disqualifying a candidate from slouching. Yeah. You've reminded me of an article that I read somewhere about a survey that was done by HR professionals. And according to this survey, uh, that it, it said that HR professionals know if somebody is fit for a job within just two minutes. So is that true or not? <laughs> um, it two minutes. Yeah, two minutes. Uh -huh. I, I don't know. Uh -huh. that, it depends on, <laughs> I would say it depends on um, the stage. For example, okay, for me personally, when it comes to screening CVs, within a minute, I would be able to tell if this candidate is suitable for the role or not, just by seeing their CV. Um, because you'd, you'd find a CV that's just full of colors. It's like the whole rainbow is there. A CV that is just formatted in the wrong way. I wouldn't, you might even have, mm -hmm. you might be qualified for that role. You might be yeah. actually have all the skills that are needed, but your CV is just off-putting. And because I have to go through maybe 500, 600 applications, I really don't have time, you know, to check. And that also speaks to your attention to details. So when it comes to screening CVs, I would say yes. Um, I, I can tell that whether the person is suitable for that role or not within even one minute. Um, but uh -huh. yeah, yeah, when it comes to the actual interview, a little more time is needed. Maybe if it's a one hour interview, maybe within the first 15 minutes, you'd be able to tell if somebody is uh, actually uh, suitable for that role or not, because there are things you have to assess, you know, uh, especially if it's an in-person interview, you, like I said, body language needs to be assessed, uh, how they've dressed. First impressions are very, very important. And sometimes it takes time to get to know somebody. I know candidates who at the beginning are, can be introverted. They can give you very short answers, uh, but they warm up as the interview continues. So when it comes to in-person interviews, I tend to give candidates more time to be able to see. Uh, there are people who they'll falter at the beginning because they're nervous. And then after that, they ease in, they relax. 
And I'm able to tell whether a candidate is nervous. Sometimes you even just pause the interview and tell them, hey, relax. This is a conversation. Um, don't take it too seriously and just be at ease. And you find the candidate relaxes and they're actually able to perform well in the interview. So, yeah, it depends. Uh, I think like seasoned recruiters, people who have been in the recruiting industry for like decades, some they they are they have that instinct. They have that. They use their gut, their sixth sense to tell if this person is suitable within the first two minutes. But yeah, I take a bit more time. Uh, is there anything specific or just generally mm-hmm. that you look for when you're spotting good talent? I know you've talked to us about body language and all that, but is there anything generally if you were to give like tips for people who are, you know, applying yeah. for these jobs? Yeah, um, as, I, as I mentioned previously, the CV is the first thing I get to see about you. Um, even before your name, it's your CV that I will look at. And so I would say, get it right from the beginning. I mean, these days, um, you, there's no, there's actually no need to like have somebody professionally do your CV. There's so many, you know, free websites and softwares that are out there that will actually create for you a CV. All you need to do is input data, and it will give you a CV in any format that you want. It will give you a one-page CV, a two-page CV. It will give you a professional CV, it will give you a market, it can even format your CV according to the kind of role you're applying for. And so I think that's very key. You can't, you can't even start talking about anything else if your CV isn't looking neat and proper. So that's the first thing. But when you get to the interview, I would say, do your research. Do your research about the organization. Um, you never know how it will help you. But it's very important that the employer knows you are interested in the organization. You genuinely want to work for the organization and knowing what they do, knowing their values, uh, even knowing some of the top management people or some of the key people working in the organization really helps. For me, it's quite impressive that people actually do that. Um, Some candidates come in when they don't even know what the role is about. They were just forwarded in a job application. They looked at the title, but they never looked at the responsibilities. So, I look out for people who are well-knowledged about the role, well-knowledged about the organization, have a good CV. I also look for people who are lifelong learners, people who are always, you know, have a systematic way of acquiring information and using that information to better themselves and to make sure that they sharpen their skills and that they're always progressing. Lifelong learners are a key asset to an organization. And during the interviews, we will ask you questions that will actually tell us if you are a lifelong learner or not. And so I think if you are able to, you know, pick up on those things as a recruiter, you will get the right candidates. You will get somebody who is quite unique. Okay. Uh, Saidi, uh, taking you back to uh, a question uh, that you answered about the big shifts. Uh, so what impact has Gen Z and millennials had on influencing how uh, companies look at talent currently? Well, yeah, Gen Zs and Millennials, I, I think, yeah, people have really been talking about them. I think they've really forced <laughs> organizations to change, change the way they uh, look at um, managing people. Yeah, um, I would say it's a, it's been a challenge, especially for HR professionals who are 
old, you know the people who started with people administration, because before it was called human resources, it used to be people administration, back in the time where industrialization was picking up. And so uh, they've posed a challenge where you're finding a HR is well in their 50s and they have to manage somebody who was born in the year 2002. So yeah, it's been quite a challenge. Uh, but companies are now uh, embracing Gen Zs and they are looking into how to actually uh, manage these people because their needs are very different. So one of the things that uh, is key when managing Gen Zs and millennials is embracing new technology. Um, I think it's very important. Uh, these people were born with Wi-Fi, social media, uh, you know, mm-hmm. access to internet, <laughs> things that were not there before, <laughs> right? So they're well yeah. informed. They have access to technology. And so they really struggle to work with organizations that don't have proper technology. And so uh, embracing technology from the beginning, like having um, AI-based recruitment um, uh, recruitment softwares has been very key. Um, there are softwares that actually just it feels like you're talking to a chatbot, but the chatbot is what makes the application for you. So it asks you questions. So things like this, it feels the Gen Z person feels like they are just, you know, on WhatsApp or something of that sort. And so it makes it very easy for them to actually make an application. And so that technology is very important. It will make you attract, it will, it will help you attract these, um, these type of candidates. This, the other thing is um, with Gen Zs is that you have to manage their stress levels. Because um, with them, remember, they are brought into a digital era. They have been brought up in a digital era where they have access to quick information. They have access to news 24-7, round the clock. Um, Gen Zs and millennials have a lot to worry about. Climate change, the economy, the world is burning, you know, um, racism and all those things. So these are people who worry about a lot of things. So mental health of them is very key and so i think it's it's important as an organization to have that in mind and to actually take take note of it and promote it and make sure that you're not not only looking towards their um physical health by just providing medical uh, medical insurance but you're also looking towards their mental health are they in the right mental health and they really care about these things and so uh, for them it's very important uh, the other thing is that Gen Zs do not read lengthy documents. Uh, these guys are more, they're used to visual content, content, uh, content. And so you have to make sure that the moment you bombard them with policies, pages and pages of policies, you will, that will be a turn off for them. And so they will just come in and they will sign, and I've noticed this, they will sign policies and bring them back to you without ever reading a page. Or they'll just they'll just read a few pages and then sign them uh, without particularly understanding them. And then they're very important. These policies are what define your culture in an organization. And so you have to find a new way of communicating this to them, whether it's through interactive videos, whether it's through um, colorful presentations, those are very important. And lastly, uh, they like working in a flexible and positive work culture. So, Things like having a dress code doesn't work with Gen Zs. Um, telling them to wear, you know, suits and a tie, that won't work. So you need to have a very flexible culture in an organization where the dress code is relaxed. People can wear jeans. People can come, you know, 
in in jerseys, people can come in in tie and dyes, whatever the make that they feel comfortable in. Because at the end of the day, what we care about is their output. It's not how they're dressed. And so that's very important. And I think um, there are many other, many, many, many more things we can talk about that can create a inclusive or a conducive working environment for Gen Zs. But I think uh, this, the, these four that I've mentioned are very, very important. And I'm a millennial myself, actually. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Ah, I, I love how you've talked about, you know, the kind of culture that, you know, attracts the best talent. And it's not just millennials and Gen Zs, but just generally. So thanks for talking about that. Uh, question, Saidi. Uh, why do you think we still have such a high turnover in organization in spite of all the digital savvy and quality recruitment processes that, you know, you mentioned about earlier? Yeah, that's a good question. I think no matter how good your recruitment is, at the end of the day, um, it's what happens after you've brought in a candidate that really matters. Because turnover is usually mostly caused by the candidate experience after they've joined in the, into the company. I would say, uh, as recruiters, we are matchmakers. We try to find the perfect person for the organization, right? And when we find that person, we're very excited and we hand them over now to their people manager, to their supervisor, to the company. And how well they're treated now is what will determine whether they stay. And so this is why you're seeing even uh, now, as I was saying, there's a shift from recruitment to talent management because talent management now, uh, sorry, talent acquisition. Talent acquisition now also starts to focus on, you know, what is the candidate's experience after they've been hired, you know? Uh, we assign them buddies who will help them to settle in, somebody who they can ask questions to uh, if they're lost. You know, we survey them maybe two to three months about the experience at the company and see what we can do better. So what I'm saying is that the high turnover is mostly determined by the kind of culture that the company has. Candidates are attracted to companies with cultures that fit them, cultures that match their, their needs as an uh, as an employee and so if what we are what we are selling as recruiters out there on linkedin on the various job boards is not what they'll find inter internally then you'll find that the employment is very short-lived and so it's poor culture will always always uh trump uh, recruit your recruitment process no matter how good it is um there's also a matter of you know um lack of career development opportunities People these days really care about that. People want companies that care about their development, care about how how well they um, they progress. Uh, so that's very important. I think especially with Gen Z and millennials, uh, they are they're really quick. They will not stay in a, in one position for three four years, uh, waiting to be promoted. You know, these are people who are. Have been brought into a very, uh, I've been, I've grown up in fast-paced environments, and so um, they learn quickly, and they would expect companies to invest in them, uh, train them, and be able to care about their career path. Um, yeah, and so those things will always uh, lead to high turnover if not taken care of. If you have a toxic work work culture where it's there's negative competition rather than having collaboration, 
um, those things will always lead to having uh, a candidate having a negative work experience and so they will leave. And it's also very important to make sure that we have good people managers in an organization. Um, the people managers, most of the time, I would say 90% of the time, will determine. Your organization can have a very bad culture, but if somebody is working under a really good boss, they would stay. They would stay on for that boss. And so having good people managers is very important. And so I would say for HR professionals, you should look into the kind of people who manage your employees because they need to know that 80% of their work goes into managing those employees. I feel like managing people always comes in second rather than results. So people managers always expect results first, results first, and then all other things come in later. You know, um, we find these poor interpersonal relationships on a Monday morning before even knowing about how your weekend was, whether you're, you're good, your manager just sends you, I need this, 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 and this done, you know? So people management is very important. You need to have great leaders, great people managers. Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for those insights. Maybe just as a last question, and I, as a last question, and I know maybe some of these things you'd have already talked about, but I would just want you to wrap, wrap it up by telling us about some of the key strategies that you at Give Directly are focusing on, in order just to retain, to make sure that you retain your top talent in your, in, that other organizations can borrow from. All right, yeah. So I'd, I'd give directly our second value. Okay, our first value is recipients first. What we do at Give Directly is everything we do is for our recipients. We try and maximize the dollars that we give to our recipients. And uh, if you'll allow me, I'll just shortly say what we do at Give Directly. We try to we're, we're trying to make uh, we're trying to reshape the giving sector. We're trying to make sure that these inefficiencies that exist within uh, the, the, the donor industry, the NGO sector, changes. Because there's a lot of inefficiencies. You'd find some, some, organiz- some NGOs out there, if a donor donates $100 towards a recipient who is in, uh, in, a, in, in, a, in a poor economic state, 70% of that $100 will go towards actually um, just paying the salaries of the people who are working in these NGOs, paying allowances, overhead costs, rent, and all those other things. And so the person who's actually supposed to benefit from it gets about maybe $30, which is 30% of what that person donated. And so GD tries to change that. We're changing the narrative. We're trying to make sure that we are efficient in how uh, we deal with donor funds. And we try to make sure that we maximize the amount of money that gets to these people. So that's why our first value is recipients first. Everything that we do is for the betterment of the lives of our recipients. But secondly, team next. We value team very uh, the, the team very much. Collaboration is at the forefront of our operations. We do not uh, we do not emphasize on individual. Um, individual achievements, but rather we would rather the whole team be, uh, the whole team prospers rather than one individual prospering and them getting all the praise. And so, with that, we we insist on having a very collaborative team. 
people who talk all the time, people who communicate, and people who give each other feedback. And so that's something that has really helped us. Uh, it has really made uh, the workplace conducive and people are able to you know, feel like they're part of a family you know, because they know they can rely on their colleagues. So that's the first thing. The other thing is uh, inclus- inclus- inclusivity and diversity as well. We are intentionally uh, doing so. Uh, we're intentionally making sure that we have an inclusive and diverse workforce. We collect this data from our workforce to make sure that um, we are consciously having a team that is uh, made up of people from different backgrounds. Because that's the only way that you will be able to make sure that people get to know more about, you know, working with different people from different diverse backgrounds. And so that has really helped getting getting a wide, wide range of people with different um, perspectives, with different ideas. You get to learn from each other compared to, let's say, the whole company was all male, all female, or it was all Kenyans, all, you, you, you get it, you, you're just having a company where the, the ideas are all coming from a specific subset. But when you have inclusive, a diverse culture that's inclusive and a diverse workforce, you're able to, you know, um, bring in, make a melting pot of, of ideas that has really helped us uh, with innovating our, our operations and how we work. Another thing is that we listen a lot to our employees. I don't think I've ever worked for an organization that surveys employees as much as give directly. We are always surveying our employees, whether it's after a training, whether it's after a performance review, whether it's um, after, uh, let's say, a, a team building activity, doesn't matter. We are always surveying employees. We are always constantly asking for feedback. And we don't only ask for that feedback for the sake of asking for it, but we act on it. And we not only act on it, we act quickly on that feedback so that employees can feel like they, their voices are being heard, then that their ideas are being taken into consideration. And so that has really helped uh, helped us because we find that all the solutions that you need to the organization's um, problems or, um, or issues, the solutions lie within the employees. People bring in consultants, people bring in experts to tell them what to do, but I would say the solution lies within the employees. They know what's best for them. Awesome. Uh, lastly, uh, love to know what kind of challenges are you uh, currently facing, either as an HR or as give directly as a company? Um, yeah, I would say the pandemic, but the pandemic has brought in a lot of challenges, um, especially when it comes to recruitment. Uh, you find that we've had to scale up very rapidly. And so where we work is in remote areas. Bomet, Kilifi. And so it's been a bit difficult sometimes finding the right candidates in areas where there isn't a lot of uh, the, ta- the talent pool is not as big as you would like. So, for example, in Kilifi, uh, we need field officers on the ground. And we're actually f- recruiting for field officers right now in Kilifi. And I would encourage anyone listening to this to actually go and apply for that role. Uh, because the, the talent pool there is not as big as we would like. And so it means having to work uh, with the, 
with a very uh, small talent pool that can actually speak the local language there. And so that has brought, you know, some challenges for us. And yeah, I think other than that, I would say the other challenges are quite normal. Working from home has become, I think people are now used to it, but it used to be a challenge, especially in the middle of last year. That was a big challenge. Internet connectivity was an issue. Uh, electricity was an issue. Um, we've also found that our employees tend to overwork because the place where you're supposed to take a rest is the same place where you're working. So people log into their machines early in the morning and by the time they're logging out, maybe it's 6, 7 p.m. And while if they were working at the office, this time would have been shorter. And so a particular challenge to me as a uh, as their HR is to tell them, hey, guys, please take a break. Do not overwork yourself because you don't realize it. By the time burnout hits, it's too late. And so we've been putting a lot of initiatives in place, like there's no meetings day where no one is allowed to book anybody's calendar for a meeting. Uh, we've had days where we all taken off. The whole organization just goes on, on an off maybe on a Friday so people have an extra longer weekend. And so adjusting to working from home has also uh, been a challenge uh, for us. But all in all, we are working through it and we are learning. We are all learning, I would say. Thank you, Saidi, for sharing. I love all the measures that you have input at GD just to ensure that you have an amazing work culture. So kudos to you guys. Thank uh, a lot for your insights and for taking the time. Uh, yeah. And where can people find you? Um, yeah, so people can find me on social media. I don't even know my own handles, but yes, people can find me on social media. In the community at uh, Seamless uh, HQ, I'm also there. Um, they can go to the Give Directly Careers page. They will see me there. Or if they're ever in the area of Kino, they can look for me here as well. <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah. Uh, thanks a lot. Thank you very much, Kefa. Thank you so much for tuning in. See you at the next one.